inshallah we'll begin now. Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudilla lah wa man yudlil falahadiya lah ashahadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّا مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Verily the praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger uh, inshallah I would like to begin this uh, talk this evening which I think is the sixth in our series of lectures concerning fiqh Al-Hadith or the understanding of the rules and regulations and laws that are derived from the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we have been covering those Hadith from the book of At-Tahara or the chapter of Tahara purification from the a hadith of the book entitled Umda Al-Ahkam or the Sharh of Umda Al-Ahkam Taysir Al-Allam by Shaykh Abdullah Ibn Abdurrahman Ibn Salih Ali Bastam <coughs> As has been our habit in our previous discussions I would like to begin by briefly reviewing the hadith from the past uh, lecture and those points or rulings that are derived from it before going to the hadith for our lecture this evening. And the hadith from last week, the first hadith we took is the hadith number 9 عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعجبه التيمن The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to be pleased that he begin things with the right side فتناعله and putting on his sandals or shoes وترجله and combing his hair starting from the right side first وَتُهُورِهِ and in his acts of purification وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّهِ and in all of his affairs uh, the Shaykh Abdullah Ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam Hafizullah first discusses the general meaning of that hadith and then he mentions four points which are derived from it. And we will go straight to those points to just summarize the important uh, rulings that are contained in this hadith. Number one, he says that from this hadith we understand that giving preference to the right and all good things, this is better. It is afdal according to the Islamic legislation as well as uh, rationally or medically. Al-Imam Al-Nawri said that there is a basic rule in the Islamic law that beginning with the right is mustahab. It is more beloved, preferable, commendable to Allah and to his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that is beginning with the right is mustahab in those things which are honorable and so on and the opposite of that other things 
it is preferable to begin with the left. Second, he said, using the left hand for unclean things, this is better according to the Islamic legislation as well as rationally. The first point, or the second point, is the opposite of the first point. Third, he said that the noble Islamic law has come to correct or to purify and to better the condition of the people, to improve their condition, and to give them preventive measures to protect them from all harm. And from amongst those preventive measures is using the right hand for some things and the left hand for other things. Fourth, he said, and finally, specifically in reference to wudu, it is preferable to begin with the right, the parts of the body, of the right, right hand, right foot, and so on. And he said, that is Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah, said that the scholars have consensus, ijma' on this fact, that, that beginning with the right hand is sunnah. Yani, here the meaning of sunnah means not only is it the practice of the Prophet ﷺ, but here he means sunnah, meaning that it's not wajib, the opposite of obligatory. Beginning with the right hand is sunnah, here meaning it's not obligatory. He goes on to say, whoever contradicts this, yani whoever begins with the left instead of the right, then he has missed out on a virtuous act. But his wudu is still complete. It is still correct. Ibn Qadama said in his book Al-Mughni, the most famous of the books of fiqh of the Hanbali Madhab, he said he doesn't know of any difference of opinion concerning this matter. That is, that beginning with the right hand is sunnah, not wajib. He said he doesn't know that there's any difference of opinion about this, meaning that it is agreed upon by the scholars. The next hadith, hadith number 10, is the hadith of Nu'aym ibn Abdullah al-Mujmir radiallahu anhu, who said that he heard from Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he said, إِنَّ أُمَّتِي يُدَعَوْنَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُدُوهِ He said that verily, my ummah, or the people of this Muslim nation or community, they would be honored on the day of resurrection by being called or coming forth غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ that is, with bright faces and brightness on their hands and their feet from the effects of the performance of ablution, الْوُدُوهِ then Abu Huraira, according to the strongest opinion of the scholars, mentioned from himself, فَمَنِ اسْتَقَعَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يُطِيلَ غُرَّتَهُ فَلْيَفْعَلُ Then whoever is able to increase his brightness, the brightness in his forehead, then let him do so. And in another narration, the brightness in his forehead or in his hands and feet. Then he mentions a narration from Imam Muslim and all of these hadith are from Al-Bukhari and Muslim, as we mentioned in the beginning, the hadith from Umdat Al-Ahkam are from Al-Bukhari and Muslim. In the narration of Muslim, it is reported that he said, I saw Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu making wudu, he washed his face and his two hands until he almost washed his hand up to his shoulder. Ila mankibaini, up to the shoulder. Then he washed his feet until he washed up to his Saqini, his يعني, shank, the shank of his leg, يعني, between his ankles and his knee. Then he said, that is Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, after performing such a wudu, he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Inna ummati yuda'awna yawm al-qiyamah gurran muhajjalina min athar wudu, that verily my ummah would be called forth on the day of resurrection with bright faces or sparkling uh, faces and brightness on their hands and feet from the effects of wudu. So whoever is able to increase his ghurrah and his tahjil, yani the brightness in his face and the brightness of his hands and feet, فَلْيَفْعَلْ Then he should do so. And finally, the hadith uh, that was also narrated by Imam Muslim, 
where he said, Sami'atu Khalili sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul, I heard my friend, that is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, Tablughu al-hiliyatu min al-mu'mini haythu yablughu al-wudu. That the uh, adornment of the believer would reach to the place where his wudu reaches. Uh, this hadith, we said that there was some difference of opinion about it. The important thing is that uh, the Prophet ﷺ has given us the good news or the promise that there would be a special distinction for the Muslims of his ummah, his followers, on the day of resurrection, that from the effects of their performance of wudu, they would have brightness in their faces and hands and feet. And Abu Hurairah, رضي الله عنه may Allah be pleased with him uh, due to his eagerness and desire to increase his brightness he used to even go beyond the limits of that which was done by the Prophet ﷺ in the washing of his face and hands and feet he said that there was some difference of opinion about this and one of the opinions of the scholars is that uh, it is permissible or it is mustahab to go beyond the limits of the face when washing the face and the limits of the hands and feet when washing the hands and feet uh, washing past the elbows and past the ankles in the performance of wudu this is the opinion of the jamhur or the majority of the scholars and their opinion is based on this hadith of Abu Huraira what he said and what he did even though those who said that it was mustahab to go beyond those limits they differed about how far you could go or how far it was mustahab to go uh, some saying more and some saying less the other opinion is the opinion of Imam Malik and it is also narrated from Imam Ahmed may Allah have mercy on both of them and their opinion is that it is not mustahab to go beyond the place that has been or the limits of what has been mentioned in the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet and this is also the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his student ibn Qayyim and Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi as we mentioned last week and then uh, the Shaykh mentions their evidences why they differed and said that it is not mustahab uh, to go beyond the limits and one of the points that they made is that this was actually the understanding of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu alone and it was not the understanding of the other companions of the Prophet sallallahu nor is it known that any of the other companions of the Prophet sallallahu practiced such nor did Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu do it in front of other people but he only used to do it when he was alone and as it is recorded in one of the hadith uh, when he became aware that someone was watching him he was surprised and he said he would not have done such had he known that he was being watched. Which shows that that was his ijtihad. May Allah bless him and reward him. Uh, and um, it is not considered to be a proof, the ijtihad of an individual from amongst the Sahaba, especially when we didn't find any others of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ doing such. Uh, also, they said that in all of the descriptions of the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ, there is no mention that he ever washed beyond the limits of his face or uh, more than covering the elbow and the ankles and washing the hands and feet and in that case we can understand from that that the preferable thing is to stop at the limits of what the Prophet wasallam stopped at and if it was preferable to go beyond that then he would have done it at least sometimes if not most of the time uh, there is some other discussion here, but anyway, this is just a summary of what we talked about uh, last week. This evening, we would like to take uh, three hadith, and they are also from the book of Tahara, or the chapter of Tahara purification, but they are specifically related to the subject of uh, the manners that a Muslim should observe when going to the bathroom or to the toilet to relieve oneself. 
And the first hadith is hadith number 11, which is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا دخل الخلاء قال اللهم إني أعوذ بك من الخبث والخبائث. And some of the scholars uh, also narrated it, the word خبثي as as الخبثي خبثي. اللهم إني أعوذ بك من الخبثي. Yani this word can be read two different ways and the meaning is slightly different. Al-Khubthi, Khubthi, and Al-Khubuthi. Um, the Shaykh says Al-Khubuthi uh, with two dhammas, Khubuthi. It is the plural of Khadith. And khabith means something unclean or evil. And al-khabaith, the second word, it is the plural of khabitha. Khabitha is the feminine of khabith. And for this reason, some people said that the meaning of al-khubithi wal khabaith, it means male and female devils. And others said that it means uh, khubithi means something evil, and khabaith means the evil ones, meaning the shayateen. In any case, uh, it is mentioned here that this dua is seeking refuge from the male and female shayateen. The male and female shayateen. First, the shaykh mentions the saying of Anas ibn Malik and the Nabi whenever he entered the place where he went to relieve himself, whenever he entered there, he said that Wiliyad means whenever he intended to enter there. Not after he entered, but when he intended to enter the place of relieving oneself, then he used to say this supplication before entering the bathroom or the place of toilet. And this, the Shaykh says, has been made clear in another narration of this hadith that was reported by Al-Bukhari, Rahimahullah, in another book of his called Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. In that book, Al-Imam Bukhari reported another hadith from Anas, radiallahu anhu, in which he said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أراد أن يدخل الخلاء and then he mentioned the hadith. That is, whenever the Prophet ﷺ wanted or intended to enter the place of relieving oneself, then he used to say this supplication. In that hadith, it was more clear that this supplication is said before entering the bathroom, not after entering. Then he said, Al-Khala, the place of relieving oneself, it literally means Al-Makan Al-Khali. It means a desolate place or a place where there is no one else present. Yeah, and in a place where you are alone. Like out in the desert. Or away from the people. But the intended meaning here of al-khala, it means the place that is used for, or has been prepared for relieving oneself. For defecation or urination. Then he says, uh, explaining these two words, khubth wal khada'if, he said that khubth, it means, uh, as the author originally said, it means the male shayateen, uh, khubuf, the plural of khadith. But some of the scholars said that this word should be pronounced khubth, khubth, not khubuf. And khubth, it means ashar, that means something evil in general. And this meaning is more comprehensive because when someone seeks refuge from ashar or evil and the people of evil, then this also includes the ani, the shayateen, male and female and so on. So it is good that the person who makes this supplication should keep this more general meaning in mind 
that al-khubuf it is more comprehensive uh, or al-khubuf is more comprehensive it means evil in general and that includes the male and female shayateen as well as any other harmful thing then the shaykh mentions the meaning of this hadith in general he says in this hadith Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu who was honored to be in the service in the personal service of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentions to us in this hadith what was the adab or the conduct or behavior of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he used to go to relieve himself and it was due to the fact that he used to so often and so regularly be in communication with Allah that he used to supplicate in every occasion and he never left any occasion except that he used to make some dhikr or dua in that occasion or seeking refuge uh, in every condition including before going to the bathroom he used to seek refuge in Allah by these words so if the Prophet sallallahu he is the one who has been given al-usma or I don't know what is this called al-usma it means that someone is protected from uh, doing wrong I think now yani the prophets they say that they are protected from doing wrong because they are the examples and Allah has chosen them for the people to be examples and to deliver the revelation so Allah protects them from those things which other people are not protected from the shayateen or the devils cannot do to them like they do to other people they have a protection as being prophets so since the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is, has this protection from Allah uh, and he is still seeking refuge from the shayateen then we all the more so have need to seek refuge in Allah from evil and from harm and from the uh, shayateen especially at the time of entering those places where one goes to relieve themselves which, are the, which is one of the places that is known to be the uh, preference for habitation of the jinns uh, and also he mentions here that the shayateen from amongst the jinn that they are always trying in every condition to corrupt or to spoil or to ruin the affair of the Muslim or the, his religious affairs and especially his ibadah and here it seems as though he is pointing or hinting at the fact that when one goes to the bathroom it's possible that they might uh, allow some unclean thing, nudges, urine or defecation to uh, touch their clothing which if went unnoticed when they go to perform their prayers or acts of worship it would spoil their condition of purification so it is important that we seek refuge in Allah from all evil and particularly from the shayateen male and female from amongst the jinn especially at the time of entering the bathroom from this hadith he said there are three points the first of them is that it is mustahab to make this supplication when one intends to enter the bathroom or toilet or place of relieving oneself so that one may be protected from the shayateen who are trying to spoil or to corrupt or to ruin one's salat secondly it is mustahab he said to make this dua whoever didn't do it there is no blame on them but it is mustahab and it is preferable that we should make every effort to supplicate with this supplication seeking Allah's protection secondly he said that one of the harms that's caused by the shayateen is that they cause najis or unclean things to spoil the person's body or clothing so that their prayer would be uh, defective 
or it would be ruined because of the absence of the state of purification either on their body or the state of purification of their clothing and so on. Therefore, one should seek refuge from them and seek protection from their evil and their harm, particularly the fact that they might cause one to be in a state of uncleanliness uh, before going to worship. <coughs> and third, he said that it is obligatory to make every effort to avoid any unclean thing. And we should uh, take whatever measures are, ne are necessary to protect us from uncleanliness as it has been authentically uh, reported that the one who doesn't take measures and make effort to protect themselves from urine that this would be one of the reasons for their punishment in the grave. Yani whoever doesn't take proper measures to protect yourself, then it would be one of the causes or the reason for them to be punished in the grave, as is reported in the authentic hadith that the Prophet ﷺ was walking by a grave and he heard the people in the grave, two of them being punished, and he said that these people are being punished, uh, one of them because he didn't use to protect himself when he urinated. Yani he allowed some urine to get on his body or on his clothing. We should be careful from this and take all proper measures uh, to protect ourselves from such. The second hadith is the hadith, hadith number 12, reported from Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiallahu anhu, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama said, إِذَا أَتَيْتُمُ الغائط فلا تستقبلوا القبلة ولا تستدبروا ولا تستدبروها ولكن شرقوا أو غربوا If any one of you comes to the place of relieving oneself the place where one goes to relieve oneself فلا تستقبلوا القبلة then don't face the direction of the Qibla, the direction of Mecca or the direction of the Kaaba, when one is relieving oneself, urinating or defecating. وَلَا تَسْتَدْبِرُوهَا Nor turn your back to the Qibla, to Mecca, towards the Kaaba, direction of Kaaba. وَلَكِنْ شَرِّكُوا أَوْ غَرِّبُوا But turn towards the east or turn towards the west. The Prophet ﷺ in this hadith has prohibited us from facing while one is in the condition of relieving oneself from facing the Kaaba or the Qibla but instead one should turn oneself to the east or to the west. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu may Allah be pleased with him said تَقَدِمْنَا الشَّامِ Then we, after knowing this hadith later on, it was after the conquest of Mecca he said we went on to Asham. فَوَجَدْنَا مَرَاحِيبَ مَرَاحِيبَ we, we found that the toilets قَدْ بُنِيَتْ نَحْوَ الْكَعْبَ They were built in the direction of the Kaaba. The toilets that were built for people to use were built in such a way that when one goes to the toilet they would be facing the Kaaba. فَنَنْحَرِفُ وَنَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى He said, therefore we used to try to turn ourselves Yani, while we were using the toilet, we would turn away from the Kaaba and we used to seek forgiveness of Allah the Most High. And Imam Al-Bukhari, in his Sahih, he mentions the chapter heading for this hadith, لا تستقبل القبلة بغائط أو بول إلا عند البناء جدار أو نحوي That the Qibla should not be faced when one defecates or urinates except if they are in a building or in something that's built, not out in the desert, except that they are in an enclosed place, a building, a wall or something like that. The chapter heading came like this from Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, meaning that he understood uh, that it is prohibited for anyone to face the Qibla when urinating or defecating, except the one 
who was in a building, yani in a house or in a place that's built up, which was the case of uh, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari when they went to Asham, to Syria, or that place in the world which today is known as Syria and Jordan and Palestine, Lebanon. Uh, the toilets were built in, in such a way, but it was inside. They were not out in the desert on open land. So Aliman Bukhari understood that in this case there is an exception for the person who is inside of a building or a house. Uh, here the Sheikh says that the command of the Prophet ﷺ or the prohibition of facing the Qibla is uh, yeah, and connected to another statement وَلَكِنْ شَرِّكُوا أَوْ but you should face the east and the, or the west and he said that this facing the east or the west is specifically in reference to the people of Medina because the Kaaba, Mecca, was, is south of Medina so when that person faces the east or the west from Medina they would not be turning their face nor their back towards the Qibla so this face the east or the west he says is specifically for the people of Medina or the people who are in a location where Mecca is to their south or north so that in that case they should not face south nor north but they should face east or west, west which we understand from this then that those who Tibla is east or west obviously they should not face to east, east or west but the command for them would be to face north or south. The important thing is that we should not turn our face nor our back towards the Qibla. Uh, that's what we understand from this hadith. The Shaykh says that the Prophet ﷺ has guided us uh, here and has instructed us in some of the proper manners when one goes to relieve oneself and from those manners is that one should not face the Qibla that means one should not face the Kaaba nor should one turn their back to it at the time when they are relieving oneself because uh, this Qibla or the Kaaba it is the direction of prayer that means it is a place of honor and sacredness and for that reason it was necessary that people should turn away from the direction of the Qibla towards the east or the west in the case of the people of Medina or those who are in sim similarly located because their Qibla the, Ani, the, the Qibla of the people of Medina was to the south therefore they should not face south or north but they should face east or west then he says when the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam but they were very quick when they heard these instructions from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam they were very quick to accept them because they understood that the command of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it is in fact the truth and it must be followed. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari mentions that when they went to Asham after the conquest of Mecca they found that the toilets had been uh, or those places that were used for leaving themselves had been built in such a way that when one uses that toilet he is facing the Kaaba. So they used to turn themselves away from the Qibla uh, but sometimes perhaps they forgot or didn't pay attention and they might have faced the Kaaba for that reason when they became aware of such or they remembered then they used to turn away from the direction of the Kaaba and they used to ask Allah's forgiveness for their forgetfulness in doing so here the Shaykh for this hadith mentions five points the first of them <coughs> is the prohibition of turning one's face or one's back towards the Qibla at the time when they are relieving themselves. The second is the command that one should try to uh, adjust their direction or turn away from the Qibla if they are in such a condition or in a place where the toilets are built facing uh, or turning their back towards the Qibla then they should try to turn away from it slightly when they are in that condition. Third and this is a ruling or a general rule or a basic principle in the Islamic law that the commands of the legislator, the commands and the prohibitions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sometimes are general uh, for all of the ummah, yani for everyone in the ummah 
And that's what we should originally understand. Any command or prohibition, we should understand that it is general for all the Muslim Ummah. However, sometimes some commands or prohibitions might be special, particular to some people or individuals or group from amongst the Ummah, not for everyone. And from amongst those things that are particular or peculiar to some of the Ummah, is this command of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam وَلَاكِنْ شَرِّكُوا أَوْ غَرِّبُوا But turn to the east or the west. That command is not for all Muslims, but it is for those people of Medina or the people who are similarly located. The important thing is that the rule is to turn away from the Qibla. Number four, he says that the wisdom or the hikmah for this command or this prohibition of turning towards the Qibla it is تعظيم الكعبة واحترام الكعبة يعني it is as a means of glorification and respect for the Kaaba which is our direction of prayer and it is also the first house of worship built on the earth for mankind for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he mentions here a hadith but that hadith as far as uh, as far as we know it is not authentic um, or at least it has been classified as Da'if by Sheikh Muhammad bin Nasruddin al-Albani in his book Da'if al-Jani al-Saghir on page 40 hadith, uh, page 40 hadith number 277 um, in any case this hadith in this it is reported and Allah knows best but it appears as though it's not authentic uh, it has been reported that إِذَا أَتَى أَحَدُكُمْ if any one of you goes to the place of relieving himself, then he should honor the Qibla of Allah, يعني the direction of prayer, the Kaaba, and he should not face the direction of prayer. In any case, the hadith that we have taken today is clear and sufficient in itself. No need um, for this hadith here, especially since its authenticity is questionable. Number five, the important thing is that the wisdom behind this is glorification for respect for the Kaaba or the direction of prayer. Number five, and finally he says, but the intended meaning of al-istighfar in this hadith when uh, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari said, فَنَنْحَرِفُ وَنَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى that we used to turn away when we were using those toilets which were facing the Kaaba and then we used to seek forgiveness of Allah he said that the intended meaning here of al-istighfar or seeking forgiveness it is al-istighfar al-qalbi la al-lisani yani it is seeking of forgiveness in the heart not saying the words astaghfirullah I seek forgiveness of Allah because the remembrance of Allah by the tongue in that condition when one's aura or private parts is uncovered and they are in the condition of relieving themselves then it is prohibited to mention the name of Allah in such a condition. So that istighfar, in this case, what was meant by Abu Ayyub radiallahu anhu, is that in their hearts they used to seek forgiveness of Allah, but they didn't used to mention the name of Allah in that condition. So from this hadith, we can see that one of the uh, very, very important instructions of the Prophet sallallahu in the manners of relieving oneself is that we should not face the Kaaba and I, we have also found that even in the Muslim world today after this information has been widespread and well known that houses are being built in the Muslim world where the toilets are facing the Kaaba until today so beware and pay attention to such and don't assume that because we are in the Muslim world everything is okay not so not so when you go to the supermarket, you should check what you are buying. You don't know if it's good or not, lawful or prohibited. Don't think because we are in the Muslim world, these people are very attentive and they are checking everything for us so we can relax. Not even to our houses. We should be careful and pay attention that if it is uh, that the toilet has been built facing the Kaaba or with back to the Kaaba, it is better and preferable that one should try to turn away from the direction of Kaaba when using the bathroom. Uh, and then finally, 
the second hadith or the third hadith which we want to mention this evening it is related to this very same topic it is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father as reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim he said ارتقيتو فوق ظهري بيتي حفصة but I went up above the house of Hafsa, Hafsa, his sister, radiallahu anha, who was one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdullah ibn Umar said, I went on top of the house of Hafsa, faraitu al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, aw raitu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yaqdi hajatahu. And I saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam relieving himself. Mustadbir al-Qibla, with his back to the Qibla, Mustaqbila al-Sham, and he was facing al-Sham, Syria, or in some narrations, Bayt al-Maqdis, or the sacred masjid in Jerusalem. In this hadith, Abdullah ibn Umar mentions that one day he came to the house of his sister Hafsa, radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa himself, while he was facing Sham, and his back was to the Qibla. So it is important, as you can see, that we should not make a final ruling or judgment in any matter until we collect all of the proofs from Quran and Sunnah together. Before we make a conclusion and decide something, we should compile the relevant evidences from those authentic sources and then bring them together before making a final ruling. As you can see in this hadith, it is authentically reported that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, relieved himself with his face towards Asham and his back towards the Kaaba. There is difference of opinion in this issue because of the different understanding that the scholars have of these hadith. Some relying on the first hadith, some relying on the second hadith, and some taking both of them and trying to combine them to make reconciliation between them. Here the Shaykh says, اختلاف العلماء والتوفيق بين الحديثين The difference of opinion amongst the scholars and how to make reconciliation between them. And there is a long discussion about this by, uh, from Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani and Fatih Bari in his explanation of Bukhari, volume 1, page 295, 6 and 7 under hadith number 144 in the Arabic text of the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari. In any case, here we will try to summarize that discussion or the difference of opinion amongst the scholars according to what the Shaykh uh, Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam Hafizahullah has mentioned here in this brief summary. First he said that the scholars differed about the ruling of facing the tubla or turning one's back to it while one is relieving oneself. They differed about it. They differ, and there are, there's more than one opinion, or more than two opinions. First, the first opinion are those who said that it was absolutely prohibited to do such. The second opinion was those who said that it was absolutely permissible to do such. The third opinion is that uh, it is prohibited in some cases and permissible in other cases. And there is even a fourth opinion which is similar, and that opinion is that uh, it is undesirable or makro, but not prohibited. The first opinion is the opinion of the narrator of this hadith, of the first hadith, the hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, that it is absolutely prohibited. And his opinion was based on what he heard from the Prophet sallallahu Don't turn your faces or your backs towards the Qibla. From that hadith he understood that it is prohibited and that was his opinion as well as the opinion from amongst the Tabi'een of Mujahid and Al-Nakhai, yani Ibrahim Al-Nakhai and Sufyan Al-Thawri. Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them. And of the later scholars, this was the opinion of Ibn Hazm. Uh, and Ibn Hazm has written extensively about this, refuting uh, all of the opinions of those who differ with his opinion that is absolutely prohibited in his book Al-Muhall and also of those later scholars who held this first opinion that it's absolutely prohibited is, is Ibn Taymiyyah 
and Ibn Qayyim. They also held this opinion that it's absolutely prohibited to turn your face or your back towards the Qibla. And really, even if their opinion is not correct, it's better to avoid it. Even if their opinion is not correct. Because of the hadith of Abu Ayyub that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited us from doing such, uh, it's better to avoid it. And there is as proof the authentic hadith which have been narrated containing the prohibition of doing such. And from those hadith is the hadith which we have mentioned, the hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu. The second opinion is those who said that it is absolutely permissible to do such and from amongst those who held this opinion is Aisha radiallahu anha and obviously she was one of the closest of people to the Prophet wasallam and who knew about his personal behavior being one of the wives of the Prophet wasallam, and her student and nephew Urwa ibn al-Zubair who narrated so many hadith from Aisha radiallahu anhu and he was one of the great scholars from the Tabi'een rahimahullah also Rabia the Shaykh of Imam Malik and Dawood al-Zahiri held this opinion uh, that it was permissible and you can imagine that their uh, opinion is based on the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar that the Prophet sallallahu did it and if he did it then obviously it must be permissible uh, the third opinion is the hadith, is the opinion of the Imams, of the Madahib, or at least three of them, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i, and Al-Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, as well as Imam Ishaq ibn Rahway, the Shaykh of Bukhari, and the narrator of this hadith, that is Abdullah ibn Umar, their opinion is that we should uh, not say it is absolutely prohibited, nor that it is absolutely permissible. But they said it is prohibited if someone is out in the open field, in the desert or such. It is prohibited to face the Qibla. In that case, it's easy for them to turn away from the Qibla. But it is permissible if someone is in a building, in a house where the toilet is already set, and it's difficult for you to use it. Permissible for those who are in a building, in a structured place, even if it is permissible in that case to turn towards the Qibla as the toilet has been built in such a manner, it is يعني, expected of them that they should at least try to turn away from the Qibla uh, يعني, so that they don't fall into that prohibition that's mentioned in the hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari where the Prophet wasallam that anyone who's relieving themselves, they should not turn their face or their back towards the Qibla. It's better that they at least turn slightly away from the Qibla, turning their back or their face away from the Qibla. And this is better, uh, <coughs> especially since the difference of opinion here and those who hold the opinion that it is prohibited, actually, they are basing their opinion on very, very strong evidence. Uh, so we should try to protect ourselves in such matters where there is difference of opinion uh, and take the safer position even if we hold that we have some evidence uh, indicating that it may be permissible to do such if we can avoid it, it's better and that's safer and this is what we try to say in every case where there is difference of opinion if we can avoid falling into something that might be prohibited that may be prohibited yani if that opinion was correct then we would be falling into something prohibited if we can avoid falling into that prohibition, even though we may think that that's not the correct opinion, we should try as best we can to avoid it. And that's what Abu Ayyub al-Ansari said they used to do, that they used to try to turn away from the Qibla in such condition, and they used to seek forgiveness of Allah for such. Uh, here the Shaykh says that this last opinion, that it is prohibited in the open field, but it is permissible when you are in a building, in a house, or in a structured place, uh, he said this opinion is the most correct opinion because it combines the clear, authentic legal proofs in this issue. It combines the clear, authentic hadith of the prohibition along with the clear, authentic hadith that the Prophet ﷺ did such. This opinion uh, brings both of them together. The opinion that it's absolutely prohibited actually nullifies the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar that he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing such. And the 
opinion that it is absolutely permissible nullifies or invalidates the hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited it. But this third opinion actually combines both of them and it يعني, accepts both proofs and tries to reconcile between them and this is يعني, the best position and this is also a general rule in differences of opinion or in apparent contradictory evidences. This is a general rule in apparent contradictory evidences that we should first try to make al-jam' or reconciliation between those evidences which appear to be contradictory. Whenever it is possible to do such, then we must try to make reconciliation first. If we cannot, then the next step is to look at the evidences and when the ayah was revealed or when that hadith took place and to see which one was first and which one was last. In that case, the last ayah that was revealed or the last statement of the Prophet ﷺ takes precedence over the earlier one and we would say that the later one is the nasikh or the abrogator and the earlier one is the mansukh or that which is abrogated. So we would take the proof from the later one. The nasikh or abrogator takes precedence over the earlier one which we say has been abrogated. That's when we know the date of the ayah when it was revealed or the statement of the Prophet ﷺ when he said it. That's the second step. When we cannot make reconciliation, then we look to see if one was earlier and later. And if we can determine that one was later, we will say it abrogates the earlier one and we would base our opinion on the later statement or the later ayah of Qur'an. In such case, where we cannot determine the date when, they, when the ayah was revealed or when the statement was made by the Prophet ﷺ, in that case, we turn to tarjih or we try to determine which evidence is stronger more authentic or more closely related to the particular issue in question. And we would take the more stronger evidence and base our opinion on that. These are the three steps that the scholars have identified when there are apparent contradictions. First, we should try to make reconciliation. If we cannot, then we look to see if one abrogates the other. And if we don't know the date, then we try to make tarajih or to see which one, which of the evidences is stronger or more closely related to the issue in question. In any case, whenever it is possible to make al-jam or tawfiq or reconciliation between two apparent contradictory evidences, then we must make reconciliation. We must do that if we are able, because the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ do not contradict one another, nor does the Qur'an, one ayah of the Qur'an contradict another, nor do the authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ contradict the Qur'an. So when possible, we should make reconciliation. And when it's not possible, we turn to abrogation. And when that's not possible, then we see which one is stronger. Here the Shaykh mentions this rule, that this is a very important rule. And so, this third opinion makes reconciliation. Therefore, it is the best position to take that we should make reconciliation where we can. And the reconciliation is that they said the general... Uh, the general ruling here is that it's prohibited when one is in an open field where they can turn away from the Kaaba. But in the case where one finds difficulty in turning away from the Kaaba because they are in a structured place, then it's permissible in that case. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ did such, as was mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar. And he, when he saw him from the house of Hafsa, anha, the Prophet ﷺ was in an enclosed place. He was not in an open field. And that's why it was permissible. This is the third opinion. And inshallah, this is the best opinion. And finally, the Shaykh here mentions a fourth opinion, which is similar to the third. And it is also a strong opinion. And he said that opinion is the opinion that turning towards the Kaaba or the Qibla when urinating or defecating is makruh, not haram. Yani, how do we understand that it's makruh? We said before that makruh is similar to haram. It is something that has been prohibited. But the difference between them is that that which is haram, if a person does it, they are expected to be punished, or Allah may forgive them if He will. Whereas that which is makruh is undesirable, it's detestable, but, you would, but it's not something that you would be punished for. And we said that when something has been prohibited, you can understand that it's makruh if there's another evidence showing or clarifying that it's not absolutely prohibited. And that's the same ruling for that which is wajib, and mustahab, that when the command came to do something, 
we said it's wajib unless there's another proof showing that it wasn't meant to be wajib but that it was meant to be something recommended or commendable so here the fourth opinion is that it's makruh and how do we understand that it's not absolutely prohibited but that it's makruh the fact that the Prophet ﷺ did it we can understand from that that it's something detestable or undesirable except in the case where you're forced to do it because you're in a structured place and you have difficulty in turning away from the Kaaba and Allah knows best um, and this he mentions is the opinion of Al-Imam Al-Sana'ani uh, where he said that it is a necessity that we have to make tawfiq or reconciliation between these two hadith one making the prohibition and the other showing that the Prophet ﷺ did such and the way to do it Al-Imam Al-Sana'ani said is to understand that that prohibition was meant to be uh, makruh, something undesirable and not that it was meant to be haram or absolutely prohibited uh, here the shaykh mentions two points in closing from this hadith we understand that it is permissible to turn one's back towards the Kaaba at the time of relieving oneself in the case that one is in a building on a structured place it is permissible to turn one's back towards the Kaaba and secondly because in that hadith it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ was facing a sham or Bayt al-Maqdis and his back was towards the Qibla or the Kaaba so it's permissible to turn one's back towards the Kaaba in the case that one is in that situation uh, not in an open field and secondly it is also permissible uh, to face Bayt al-Maqdis or Jerusalem or the general direction of Syria or Asham at the time of relieving oneself uh, even though some people said that it is makruh but from this hadith we can understand that it is permissible permissible to turn your back towards the Kaaba and permissible to turn your face towards Bayt al-Maqdis in the case of the one who is forced to do so because the toilets have been built in such a direction otherwise if someone is in open field then there's no need for them and there's no excuse for them to turn their face or their back towards the Kaaba and Allah knows best Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk Alhamdulillah we have 5 minutes remaining before the adhan inshallah if there are any corrections or comments or questions from the brothers or from the sisters This is not really related to our topic tonight. I mean, directly, it's not related to the hadith that we took. But anyway, in any case, uh, urinating while standing is also prohibited. Uh, and uh, some of the scholars said that it's makruh. The reasoning behind it, uh, and perhaps we will discuss it in detail when we came to the hadith pertaining to it. But the reasoning behind this, some scholars said the reason why it's makruh and not haram is because... Uh, the one who urinates standing takes more chance that the urine may get on their body or on their clothing whereas the one who sits or squats close to the ground has less chance that the urine would splash on them or get on their clothing because they are closer to the ground and closer to the hole if they are in a bathroom or toilet or whatever uh, so um, in any case it is better to avoid such whoever is able to avoid it you will find that in the Muslim lands, the toilets were built uh, such that the person has to sit or squat. But in the Western lands, uh, the urine urinals or the urine places are built often so that a person has to stand to use it. Uh, whoever can avoid such should avoid it, and whoever cannot avoid it should be careful not to allow urine to splash on their clothing or on their body. Uh, and if such should happen and the person is aware of it then they should clean that place because uh, you know one of the conditions for the acceptance of prayer is the cleanliness of the place of prayer as well as the clothing and the body as well as being in a state of purification yani, uh, having purified oneself by performing wudu from uh, any other nullifier of wudu so I think the answer to your question is that uh, it is 
يعني prohibited to do such and a second opinion is that it's makro uh, in any case the person who is forced to do so uh, they should avoid or be careful not to allow urine to spill or to splash on them and Allah knows that any other comments? Okay, in that case, if there are no questions from the sisters which have come to us and the brothers have no questions, then we will close here. Subhanakallahumma, bihamdindika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka, wa atubu ilayk. Let me just uh, also say that um, please review uh, the previous hadith which we have taken. And uh, whoever is able to take notes, it's good that you take notes. Uh, at least some brief notes as a reminder to some of the points that are discussed in these hadith. And uh, whoever uh, is able to memorize some of those hadith, especially uh, those in which a supplication came uh, or something like this, then it's very good that we should memorize it and we should share it with others, we should teach it um, so that not only we will benefit individually, but we will also spread the benefit to others as it has been passed on to us, then we should pass it on to others. And remember the Prophet ﷺ said, the best of you is he who learns the Qur'an and teaches it. So whenever we learn something, we should not limit it to ourselves, but we should also teach it to others, whoever may be willing to listen and to learn. Bismillah.